What's up, everybody? We're back for another review uh, for The Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It, the third film in the Conjuring franchise, and I believe the eighth film in the extended Conjuring universe, uh, which is an interesting universe to the thing. Um, Zach is on assignment this week, and uh, I brought in someone who knows horror better than either Zach or I, which Mr. Mike Hanley is here. He <laughs> loves the horror. Yes. He was, ra- he was raised on it, you could say. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Three which years is, old, but which is which is really all you need to know if you want to understand Mike's personality or literally any of the behavioral choices he makes. Um, the man watched horror movies when he was like five. Um, three. So, oh, three. I was being <laughs> kind to your parents. I'm sorry. I was too nice to them. <laughs> um, let's do the thing we always do. Let's jump into a quick non-spoiler section. Okay. Um, I'll go first and just say, I think that if you like the other two Conjuring films, you will probably somewhat like this. It's definitely not on the level of the previous two. And I think there's, I think, one very large reason why that's the case, um, which is the obvious director change. The previous two movies had someone in James Wan, who is clearly an auteur of the horror genre. And this film has a director who is more workmanlike. And I think hired almost solely because they are a writer in the universe overall. Um, but yeah, I think if you like the previous one, this is worth watching on that respect. I think you still kind of get the what you like out of Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga um, as the titular Warrens. Um, yeah, I think you'll probably enjoy it. I would not go into this expecting it to be as good as the first two, but I don't think this is like Annabelle or... Curse of La Llorona, Earth and Nun, or something down at the bottom. This, this is very much mid-tier. Like it's for me, I think I think I ranked it like fourth or something out of this universe. I think it's like right in the middle. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just you know, it's a it's a it's a good little horror film. What do you think, Mike? I actually 100% agree with you. <laughs> with the three, because La Llorona, Annabelle, and the Nun being at the bottom, I 100% <laughs> agree with that. But yeah, if you do like uh, Conjuring One and Two. You'll definitely enjoy this one. It is definitely the third best one out of the three. The ones are the best part. Like, if you love the first two, you do it for the ones, and you get the ones in this one. You get the, like, this is a, like, these these universal movies, especially the one ones, are all about their marriage and their love. And it clearly fucking shows. You show up because it's a happy fucking marriage. They're not fighting. There's no conflict between the two. It's always just, hey, we're going to go solve some shit. I want to watch that. But yeah, definitely the absence of James Wan is 100% fault in this third one. Yeah. Um, you know what? Let's uh, give everybody a quick chance to drop off. If you have not seen the film, we are going to go into spoilers. We're going to talk about characters. We're going to talk about the ending. We're going to talk about the plot of the entire film. If you have not seen it and you would like to, it is currently streaming on HBO Max. You could also go to a theater if you'd like. Um, lots of different options. Uh, go check it out. Um, jump into the spoiler section. So... We talked about one of the biggest things that sets this apart from the previous two, and that's the loss of James Wan. For um, I believe the man is named Michael Shaves, and yes. uh, he directed The Curse of La Llorona. And it shows. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a, well, I think even from the first scene, the thing you notice is the camera is not doing anything unique or interesting anymore. It is very much shot. It's very workmanlike. It's like we're going to capture the action. We're going to capture what we need to capture. It's not bad camera work but it's certainly not james wan doing inventive stuff like half the scares in the first two conjuring films are james wan putting the camera in a weird position 
so that you can yes. get the, the jump scare behind the person's head or next to them. Like they, he does a lot of stuff with angles and lighting that really messes with you in ways that are um, scary. That does not exist in this film. It just doesn't. Shaves is not. I don't think he's. I'll be honest. I don't think he's a very good director. Um, I think yeah. he's a very. I think he's. I think. I think he got this role for one reason, and that's because he's. I think he's written on previous films, and then he directed Curse of Blade Runner. Um, yeah. So thoughts on the directing? Yeah, you know, I agree with that. And the one scene in particular that actually showcases that is an Arnie scene where he's about to kill the, um, the landlord, and yes. it cuts to dark. And James Wan, he's shooting that. He's going to be shooting in a unique way to where you won't see that jump scare coming. But the moment it goes Straight dark, you fucking on. know he's going to be running, crawling, whatever he's going to fucking do. You know he's going to be coming forward, and that's exactly yeah. what happens. They have a quick shot of the knife, and then you just hear. The one thing that I think is, I guess, a good take on his directing is the fact that he cuts away from the actual murder. Yeah. Like, you hear it. But you don't never see, and I think that's a good approach because a first-time director would 100 percent want to fucking show it. And you honestly, you don't always have to show it because there's more um, impact sometimes when it's just accent and you just hear noises, a la Blair Witch Project, etc. Except when he's pissing in the corner. But uh, yeah, the directing style in general, you definitely can tell this is directed by the guy who did Curse of La Llorona. Very simple, nothing spectacular. Honestly, probably would not remember his name if it wasn't for knowing that he did previous shit and he wrote in the universe. Yeah, it's a lot of really straight on. He really he's a big yeah, that that scare there is really one would have shot it. He would have panned around. He yes, done some angles and you know the scare is coming because the camera literally just down the barrel of the gun. Yeah, and you're like, there's no way there's not something coming from that direction <laughs> because they're literally pointing the camera in that direction. And it does take away from a lot of the scares. Um, you're not... Juan is really good with jump scares in a way that oh, actually yeah. genuinely scares you in the first two movies. And in this one, it's just like, all right, you, it's more of the... It's not even anticipation. You're just kind of like, okay, I guess it's coming. Oh, there it is. Like, it's a lot... It's really... Uh, it really drags down the enjoyment of the scares or any kind of the, the crazy moments because it is just so straight on. The second big thing that we need to talk about this film is that this is not a demonic possession movie in the way the previous two were. The previous two were it's a house being haunted, some kind of object is interacting with a child, a demonic possession of the child, and then the defense is trying to protect the child, protect the family member, cure the house of the demonic possession. In this one they decide to go with they do like the double take. They make you think it's demonic possession at the beginning and then they do a switch where they switch to being like no, it's a witch cursing people. Yeah. And I don't think this works very well. Because the, then it makes the Warrens, instead of the Warrens fighting evil, the devil, or like this spiritual supernatural, they're actually fighting a human being who just happens to be a witch. It also really, it also kind of messes with the realism of the world. Because yes. it's, easy, it's easy to believe that there is an 18th century, you know, toy that was cursed or something. All the objects that they, if you go into the Warren's room where they have all the cursed objects, they're all really old. It's yeah. like, okay, I, I'm willing to buy in that there's a 17th century Japanese armor or there's a 18th century doll or something that's cursed. But when you're expecting me to sit here in the 1980s and believe that there's a witch walking around cursing people, I just find that like a lot less convincing. And the witch turns out to be not 
kind of a pushover. He's yeah. not really that great of a villain. And it, it's just a much much less interesting than having like the 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 craziness of demonic position and having the wards have to figure out what's happening. You really take the figuring out what's happening in the house aspect out of it. Yeah. And I think that's that's a major problem that I had with this movie in general is not only is it taken away from the demonic possession haunting aspect, but if you're going to go, the, like, I don't mind them going the route of not taking, like, a demonic possession. They have so much shit in that room, including the fucking Japanese armor. Which I'm so, I'm so mad. Fucking, I want I that movie. That. <laughs> yes, I want to fucking see that. That sounds interesting. You pick an object that you don't actually see in that room for the first two movies at all. Because I, I yeah. look I look for it, I couldn't fucking find it unless it's hidden in the corner somewhere. And the problem with it is the fact that it's a, more of a detective story than anything. And that yeah. kills it for me because the Warrens aren't fucking detectives. They're not like, they're the demonologists, they're fucking exorcists. They're, yeah. That's so job not helping out fucking detectives find a fucking missing girl. Like that aspect, like I enjoy every part of following the wands in these films. I do. But when it turns out to be more police procedural than an actual conjuring story, that's where I have my issue with it. I like, it's the whole aspect of, like you said, a villain that's very bland. Like, yeah. Do I care for the nun at all? Not really, but at least it's something interesting. This isn't really interesting for this world. And the first two movies are grounded in like half reality and half fantastical elements that it meshes well together. This one goes more towards the fantastical elements and it doesn't have that grounded realism in there to really match with it. And I think that's what it hurts, hurts it the most. Yeah, and this also then forces the Warrens to really be just the spiritual aspects of those characters so less the grounded aspects of the characters i mean lorraine warren spends like 75 percent of this film like in dream sequence yes. and like flashing back and it kills her character like yeah. she's so not memorable because in the other films she would do that but she'd do that for a specific moment it was really powerful because it was the one moment where she would have the vision and that would help them figure out the problem in this movie she just like has visions like forty-five thousand times yeah. And by the, by the end, you're just like, okay, she's doing it again. Like, it's not that interesting anymore. It feels like they overplayed some sections of the movie. They underplayed others. Yeah, I just, I don't know what they were trying to do here. It, it's very frustrating at times because you're like, it's the, it's the same couple from the previous movies. Although I do think that, I will say they're a little bit not on the same level. I can't tell if it's a writing issue or that Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are just, it's been a long time since they did this. I, I believe I'm... The last one was Coming Home, the Annabelle Coming Home, which is... Are they even in that one? Yeah. It's because it takes place in their house. They're, they're barely in it. Like, they're, right. like, it's not about them, but they're at the beginning, and I believe they're at the end of that right. film. I, okay, I remember this. They also have not been in a full Conjuring film since 2016. Yeah. Now, this is probably shot in 2019, 2020, but it does seem like there's been some time passed. They do seem a little bit less engaged than they previously have. Yeah. They, they aged them up quite a lot, I believe. Oh, yeah. I think they jumped seven or eight years. I believe that the Conjuring 2 is in the early 70s, 70, 71, and this is 81. Yes. So they aged, them at, right, least, yeah. they aged them at least 10 years. Um, it was a, It's an interesting choice to make them so much weaker characters. Especially it, the heart attack moment. Like, Let's talk about this, yeah. I got, yeah. I got takes. Yeah. Like, I understand 
wanting to give another like a hit to the ones to have to deal with, but you're basically taking out one half of the main stars of the fucking movie of doing anything memorable at all. Like it sucks because then she's running after like on the cliff sequence, she's running after the goal and the vision while he's barely fucking surviving walking. And it, and then she has to go into the house. Like I get that it can help bring moments more to her, but for the, for some reason, even the moments where it singles on her aren't memorable. It could have easily been both of them, and it would have worked. Well, they do. There are two problems. One, a lot of times when they focus on her, it's purely in the dream sequence, so yes. we get to see very little of her real world life, which I think hurts any try to focus uh, attempted focus on her. The second part is they don't actually stick to the whole Ed Warren has a heart attack and you know has to be saved. Because there's parts of the movie where, like, he's basically passing out walking around. Yeah. And then there's parts of the movie where he's swinging a sledgehammer at people. And it's, <laughs> yes. like, it's like, this doesn't make any sense. You guys are not consistent. And then, like, he's like, oh, I need my pills. It's like, dude, you just, like, smashed, like, 15 pillars and ran along like a crazy person. And now you need your pills? Like, why didn't, like, I mean, is, are we supposed to believe that, like, the witch's curse protected him from heart attacks? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. it's, it's a very inconsistent. Like, they, they give him an injury. They attempt to weaken him. But they're also then very inconsistent in the way that they choose to weaken it. Like he just doesn't um, – he doesn't consistently have the same problem that you would expect. And it does really it does really drag. And you're right. the They try to focus on Lorraine and it doesn't really work. Um, mostly because that couple has always been – the husband is the forefront and she's the one yes. sitting behind kind of like thinking through stuff quietly at times kind of, and then coming in with a really big insight – well, he does She's a lot a silent of- bob to his J. <laughs> <laughs> she comes in with that fucking sledgehammer move. <laughs> That's an interesting way. <laughs> but I'm not surprised you did it. Um, so, basic plot of this movie is they are trying to do an exorcism on a little kid. Yeah. Uh, this part also has a just raging plot hole that I don't understand how they like the characters are idiots. Um, and they, they're failing to do this, this exorcism on this eight year old. And there's another point in the part where like his sister's boyfriend goes, Oh, just take me instead of him. Yeah. And so the kid gets freed and then clearly something happens to the other kid. They don't really seem to, they don't even seem to notice this. The only person that does is um, uh, Ed Warren, and he's having the heart attack. So, but the problem with that, like, I rewatched it today because I wanted to focus on that part because I wanted to see because when he wakes up from his heart attack, he literally says, "It's in him. It's in the guy." Okay. But he was still awake. He was, ha- mind you, he was having the heart attack. I get yeah. it. But at the same time, he could have fucking pointed at the kid or something to go, "Look at the kid." The kid is freaking out. <laughs> I also don't understand how he's the only one who notices. Yeah, I don't either. Like, several, I understand there are several characters. Who are little, I understand, like the sister is focused on the little kid yeah. because yeah, it's her little brother. She's gonna be focused, but like the parents don't fucking notice that the son is kind of like the, the same eyes and kind of just standing still. It, it's kind of weird. Like at least the parents, I could like I understand how um, uh, Lorraine one is focused on Ed yeah. and the sister is focused on the little brother. I get that. But you got two other, and the priest. The priest yeah. got kind of knocked out, but he's still awake. You got three people in that room that should be noticing that this dude does not seem right. 
Well, it's also to say your brother was just possessed by some kind of demon. Yes. You should be on high alert. Why are you you should be seeing demonic possession everywhere? Why is it that you just like totally ignore the fact that this dude is acting like a complete weirdo? Like it doesn't make any like his eyes are he's like like weird veins in his neck. Like what yeah. why are you why have you not noticed any it's it's such a weird moment that they're just like he's acting completely bizarre and no one ever goes, Why is he acting completely bizarre? It's like it's a it's a very weird moment. It really does feel like they they got lazy and they were like, oh, people just won't notice. Like they wanted to, they just wanted to get to the next part of the stage and they didn't want to create a, a, a more interesting or like intelligent way for that to happen. It just, they just kind of let it slide. And then, so the kid who's possessed kills somebody. Shocker. Yes. And he gets, you know, he's going to get tried for manslaughter. And this is, I guess, the first time in the U.S. that anyone claimed demonic possession Yes. As a defense for murder charges. And this is, I will admit from this point on, the story, the jail story doesn't make a lot of sense. There's a lot of outside people being allowed into the jail at a lot of different hours. Yeah. They don't, I, I don't know if people know this, they don't let murderers have visitors at night. Like, they might not let you have visitors, period, let alone just like, vis there's a lot of weird stuff. They They seem to buy into the demonic possession thing more than... I feel like they will. Like honestly, if you if I was a lawyer and you know I was trying to prosecute a murder and then I was like demonic possession, I'd laugh at them. I'd be like, okay, yeah. cut the shit. This is not that's that's, that's not how the world works. Um, so then the Warrens have to like prove the demonic possession, and there's some weird thing where oh, it's not demonic. But this is the moment they figure out it's not demonic possession because the curse isn't inside him anymore because he can read the Bible. And if yeah. he's actually possessed, like in the previous film, every time in the previous films, anytime you show a cross or you read the Bible or holy water, like you see the reaction from the person who's cursed. And that's when they start going, oh, like what's going on? Here? And this is part of the moment where they start realizing, oh, this is actually a curse sent by a witch rather than like the demonic possession based on an object. And then they just start, they start um, investigating this. They find another death. Um, the big thing here is that stab being stabbed 22 times is something that's consistent between the landlord and this other person who's victim. And then this is when Lorraine has this vision and she wit witnessed the, like, the whole witch occultist person. Um, and then they just keep investigating. They keep investigating. They keep investigating. They meet the best character in the film, which is um, – I don't want to screw this up. i got to get his name right. Uh, Father Kastner, oh. the, the A plus performance in this film, played by yeah. John Noble, absolutely, absolutely yeah. kills it, <laughs> and he's he's so good. Um, he's had previous experience with like occults, and then later on, it's revealed, oh, he had a daughter, and she's actually the witch. Yeah, which is it's sort of an interesting reveal. Yeah, except you almost expect like you. The, the reveal you expect is, oh, she's the witch and he's helping her. So the fact that he just, like, reveals this randomly and, like, hasn't earlier in the film, is it that weird? Yeah, it's kind of strange that it's saved for later on like that where he could have easily just went, hey, uh, something's up. <laughs> I got this daughter that, you know. Yeah, it's, it's weird that he waits so long. Like, he doesn't proactively take the steps to it to tell people that this is happening yeah even after he's been visited by ed and lorraine until lorraine visits him again and then 
I think we can read the really stupid part of the movie happens, which yeah. is the witch comes, she kills Father Kastner. It's and that's really- a vision that she had, basically. That was the beginning of the vision that she had of the board and shit like that. Uh, I don't really understand why she hates her father that much. Yeah. It doesn't really – it doesn't make a lot of sense why she becomes a, a member of the occult, starts casting these things. It doesn't really make a sense why she hates her father. It just sort of happens. She kills him. She goes after Ed and Lorraine. Um, they have to try to – they have to destroy the um, – what is the thing? They have to, the altar. They have to destroy the witch's yeah. altar. That's how you break the curse. She throws some powder in Ed's eyes. He goes like crazy. He starts swinging a sledgehammer all over the place. And then I guess the argument is that, like, oh, he came out of it because of love? That's literally what the whole concept is. Is there? That's why they showed those flashbacks throughout yeah. the movie. That love, it all comes down to that point of going, they're so in love that she's able to reach him, even though he's fucking possessed. It's very, very uh, goofing. Stream and goofy, yeah. It, uh, it, it, there could have been a very better approach to how he gets out of demonic possession because I think that is an interesting concept that they could have explored is him as one of them becoming possessed and what happens with them. But they kind of just go, He's possessed 10 seconds later, he's not possessed because love saved him. It's kind of like, Yeah, he has a random vision and he smashes the altar with the sledgehammer and then, oh, the witch dies because the devil needs a soul. And then they take the little altar, the cups from the altar back to his room. The kid gets sent to jail for manslaughter, but he only serves five years or something. Which is not explained if they, because, so I'm I'm not 100% positive of this. I believe manslaughter means that they're acknowledging that there's not, it's not conscious or it's not um, premeditated. Premeditated, right. Yeah. Like, Because they were initially trying to get um, the death penalty, which would mean probably first-degree murder charges. Yeah. And then manslaughter is like you've killed somebody, but it's without malice. Or it's circumstances where you're not trying to murder, but you do end up murdering. Um, so I guess the idea is that they must have bought the demonic possession thing. I'm, gu- I'm guessing since they never really, really like this is they have a way better version of this called the exorcism of Emily Rose where they actually explore like uh, in the courtroom of how they explain the devil and how possessions work. This movie just does not give a fuck about that. And they went, yeah, we know it's about this case, but we don't really actually give a shit about the case. <laughs> so we're just going to say, hey, he went to prison <laughs> and he didn't get like the death penalty, even though probably should have because they don't well they will explain how demonic possession even though they don't even though the town folk like you said kind of believe them in a way which they don't give really evidence of it i yeah this is like a thing that like in all the other ones you understand like where they took the original story yeah and then how that they made into a movie and this is the one where it's like and then you kind of at the end not only did they not explain it, but they really tell you that the case didn't matter because then Ed shows Lorena gazebo like on their first date, and it's like you wait, yeah. you may just made an entire movie about like a throwback to their first date. It's a really bizarre ending because all the other endings of these films is like they're more sinister. They're like yeah, they're always hinting at the at the fact that there are more dangerous things out there, that yeah. there are more artifacts, that there are more stories of all these things, and. This is like it's a weirdly like kind of sappy ending. 
Um, yeah. It just kind of happens. There's a lot of just thrown together stuff. They he, he gets only five years. Never really explained. Like, honestly, I think that movie would be more interesting if they showed you how they convince people. Yeah. Like, that's always a part of the other movies is like trying to convince the church that you should do an exorcism, trying to convince people that you need to do this. Like, yeah, like the sheriff, the random sheriff in the first one that shows up, hey, we need to, like, bad shit's happening. Help us. Like, this is what's happening. Right. They do a lot of stuff like that where it's like they're really focused on making sure that people who are not believers like them, that's one of like the big things of the first two movies is like, you don't have to be a believer in God. You don't have to be this believer on our level, yeah. but we can show you, we can prove to you scientifically. It's like, it's, it's the merging of religion and science is sort of what they've done with the first two movies. That we believe that in the God, we believe in the devil. We can believe that we can stop him, but also we can show you evidence. Look, the girl levitating, look, the, 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 the ghost of that person behind them. Like that's something that's big. And this film, they're just like, because they changed so much the story, maybe they can't do that at the end. But they, it would have been nice. It would have been nice to at least explain how they actually made the argument. Yeah, about demonic possession in a courtroom. That's I feel what like, I thought that they were going for in the third act. I, I thought really it was going to be a courtroom, but it, I was ready for that. I went, hey, that'll be interesting. I'll be. I really want to hear how they are convincing these fucking people <laughs> that this right. takes place. But yeah, no, cause, <laughs> nope. Because otherwise, it's like, how does this? It doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, yeah. This, in in some ways, it feels like this film is just a less tight version of the previous ones. There's yes. a lot more coincidences. They find where the occultist is, sort of by luck, it's oh, sort yeah. of random. Like it just happens to be in tunnels below Father Castner's house, and they sort of randomly figure this out because they look at a map of the three people who've been cursed yes and, and they then, find that so close by oh that. they're like they make like a triangle together and look at the area in between them although like there's still a lot of area in between them that's that was not as easy as they <laughs> tried to i think they tried to they glossed over it quickly trying to just make you think it would be then easy to find it it's not really as easy then they just happen to show up at father castle and he's like look there's tunnels and you just walk down them and look there's the altar like it's a lot of just like there's a lot of random occurrences that don't appear in the previous movies yeah. It just feels kind of sloppy. It feels like they kind of rushed it out. Um, Wilson and Farmiga are good, but they do feel a little bit like they're just kind of, they can play these characters and they're not trying super hard. John Noble is the performance that I feel like really stands out. He's the yeah, one. he's fuck. Everything with him was great. I had a good time when he showed up. He was fucking he's, fantastic. He's so good. Um, but the rest of it just kind of felt like, kind of felt like a step down. It felt like they really didn't, you know, didn't really know what they were doing or they did know what they were doing. They just didn't, I, I, in some ways it feels like the script could have used a second pass. They could have used a little bit more thought out. Like I think he honestly wanted to tell more of the love story than he did the actual like mm -hmm. horror aspect of what we come to want to see in that because James Wan had a perfect balance between their love and yeah. the case they were working on. And it worked because they, he always showed the moments like the quiet moments between the two and the love was there. This one, it kind of hit the head with the love of just going, they love each other. This is how they fucking love each other. It's a flashback for you, you asshole, five minutes in. <laughs> Does it make sense of why they're showing you randomly like they do? The flashbacks are randomly put in there. Like, they are kind of, yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> like, I get it, but you're kind of throwing it over the head that a piece of dialogue could take care of it. Yeah, it is really. It really does feel like they were like, "Well, we have to do the case thing because that's what we've always done." But we really don't want to tell that story. 
and they just kind of jam it together. And yeah, you can feel like there's a there's a real he wants to focus on the love, and that's why the other parts of the story are sloppy or, or just not fully you know you know built out or just kind of like dropped at the wayside and it's just like one line there somewhere or just like some text on screen at the end. Um, do you have any final thoughts on the conjuring? The devil made me do it. Uh, the biggest takeaway is that I do, even though I did enjoy bits and pieces of it to where it's entertaining enough, yes. it is definitely a big step down. And I wish that they would have told the fucking Samurai story. That's all I want. They keep showing it in every movie. It's the biggest fucking thing in that place. Just make the goddamn Samurai movie. That's all I want. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, it's a step down. It's enjoyable at times, but like it's one of those movies that I gave a three star out of three out of five stars to. It could have easily been two and a half. It was. It's not a strong three stars. Like I enjoy moments of it. I enjoyed on John Noble, but there's also moments of that film where I'm just like I'm bored or I'm uninterested. It, and I think the biggest thing it does, and I I think this is probably the biggest critique you make of the film is just it's not very scary. Yeah, yeah. It's, the horror it's aspects horror, are not there. It's barely a horror film. It really yeah. does feel more like a psychological thriller mystery movie. Um, at times, and it does feel like a horror movie. Like it feels like it has more in common with you know Zodiac than it does you know, yes. with a full-on horror movie. Like it, it feels it's not it's not as scary as Zodiac. Zodiac is definitely scarier than this. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, before we go, I wanted to just drop my give you my ranking of the Conjuring Ooh. universe. I don't know if you have a ranking. Oh yes, I do. All right, but, let's. Uh, why don't you grab it. yours that we can go back and forth in yes. each one? We'll talk about it. Um, I think we'll have a roughly similar one. Probably. I know we got the bottom three, but are you fucking clear? <laughs> I, I, it, it's a universe that's weird because I remember The Conjuring comes out. Everyone thinks this universe is going to be so successful. And there's an argument that like it's barely 50. It's like 50% accurate. I feel it's 50% as well. I really do. Let's see. And then, okay, like, I got mine up. All right, you got yours? All right, yes. I'm going to go. I'll start at number eight. My number eight is Annabelle, which I saw a really long time ago, and is trash. It is really bad. And just, it was so disappointing because you've done The Conjuring and you're like, here's the first spinoff. And it's Annabelle, the doll they've been hyping up. Yeah. And it's so bad. You're like, how did you how did you blow something that you'd set up so perfectly? Like, it's such a weird, um, just complete whiff with your first one. What's your number eight, Mike? I am pretty close with that one, but I got to give it to The Nun as number eight. Movie, fuck. I saw it in the theater, and God damn, I wish I didn't see it in the theater. Like, I, I, it wasn't like I was extremely excited for it, but I went, okay, it's part of the Conjuring universe. It looks like it could be decent, and I went, I'm just fucking bored. Like, it's just boring. Like, there's no scares or anything, and it's badly acted. It just nothing's there. <laughs> that I went out of it going, this is awesome. Yeah. Um. So my number seven is the Nun. Um. <laughs> It's not good. It's so not good. Yeah. It is so weird that the two major villains that they sort of introduced in the first two Conjuring films that spin off in their movies, which just have such disastrous films. It's such a weird. Yeah. It's like it's very surprising that they completely blew that as much as they did. Um, what's your number seven? My number seven is Annabelle. <laughs> All right. All right. And the same thing that you said. It's the first major villain that they introduced as a side character and they just it fell fucking flat man it's another movie that's just not scary at all and the acting's pretty fucking terrible in it (laughs) continuing a terrible my number six is the curse of la llorona these are i think the three really bad ones in the franchise um there's some mediocre ones but these are the ones where it's like oh my god these are so bad yeah i got number six curse of la llorona the only 
redeeming factor to me of this movie is the fucking uh, training gay guy. Um, uh, the um, uh, he's a priest in Curse of La Llorona and Training Day. He's one of the poker guys. He goes, oh. I push my shit in too, man. That guy, I went, I could watch that guy all day. <laughs> Raymond Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> that guy's just fucking hilarious to me. Dude has an interesting, interesting here. He's also an Alien 4. Yes. Thank you, dude. Um, so my number five is, this is where, we're going to get to the mediocre section. I think there are three tiers to this. There's the bad section, there's the terrible section, the mediocre section, and then like the good to very good section. Um, the beginning of the mediocre section is Annabelle Comes Home, which is the third Annabelle film. It's not terrible. I actually kind of enjoyed it. Um, it's all right. It's not It's not as terrible as the first one. It's not as good as the second one. Um, it's, it's very much in the kind of middle of the road track. There. Now, I have The Conjuring. No, I'm just kidding. I got The Conjuring <laughs> Devil Made Me Do It. Okay. At, uh, number five. And it's like... I agree that this is a mediocre section for me here. Is that it's a movie that it's entertaining me, but it didn't give me enough to go, hey, I fucking really enjoy the fucking movie. Yeah. So my number four is The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. It's still in the mediocre section. It's slightly ahead of Annabelle, just mostly because I like um, the Warrens more than I like anything in Annabelle. And I like John Noble more. But yeah, it's as we talked about, it is a very flawed film that really does feel like they did not think through 100% all the different things that they were putting on screen. Now, this is where <laughs> this is where it's going to get interesting. Because okay. this is where we differ quite a bit here. On, uh, this is my great section. <laughs> this is where the first four, like uh, how I'm 50-50. We talked about the forest, and now I go Conjuring 2. Okay. And I still love the Conjuring 2. Like, I think... The story's great. The Warrens are fucking perfect in it. The little kids, all fucking good. They have some great fucking scares in it. But I just love the second and third Annabelle a little more. Just a little bit. That's fair. Um, so that was your number four. My number three is The Conjuring 2. Um, I do think the biggest problem with it from the first one is that they tacked on, I believe, 20 or 30 extra minutes to the runtime. Yeah. And there are moments you can tell that you didn't need as much. Um, I also think that, like, maybe the biggest problem with the second is, while very enjoyable and very good at times, it is very similar to the first one. Yeah, that's completely fair. And, like, I know we just spent a lot of time kind of crapping on the third one for completely <laughs> changing the mold. I'm not against their changing the mold. I just wish that the execution had been get better. I don't think either of us are sitting here saying, you have to do demonic possession every no. time. Just... Just do it better. Give us the samurai movie. That's all we fucking give, want. Give us, the, give us the samurai movie. What's your number three? <laughs> number three is Annabelle Comes Home. And it's mainly because it takes place mainly in that fucking room. And I just love that fucking room where they have all their artifacts and shit. Give me that shit all day. I want to see more of that room because I think that room's entertaining. I think the daughter does pretty well. The boyfriend is definitely the standout in that movie. Or the semi-boyfriend. He's like the friend, but he's kind of... Like, it's a very weird like relationship that they have, but I just love that out of nowhere he just starts like trying to beat the shit out of them with a bat. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> you can watch that shit all day and it'll be entertained. Yeah, it is actually. Uh, I remember how much fun this was. Um, my number two is the best Annabelle film, which is Annabelle Creation. Yes. Annabelle Creation is really good. It's oh, really fun. Yeah. 
And it's so weird because I remember watching it being like, all right, I'll watch this because it's part of the universe. If it wasn't, if I was not a completionist for stuff like universes, I probably wouldn't watch this. But it is so much better than the first one. It's so much more interesting. It has a bunch of really good kid characters. Yes. It's also just like, and this is another one where it's like, oh, okay, you have a real director helming this. David F. Sandberg kind of has an idea of what he's doing. He's got some ideas. He clearly has some talent. And it's the thing that starts to set apart the movies that succeed in this franchise from the one that don't is a lot of times just like, do you have a director who could get another directing job? A lot of the ones that succeed, the directors can get other work. A lot of the ones that don't succeed, you probably couldn't get one in many other positions. That is fair. And my second is also Annabelle Creation. Now, other than The Exorcist, the two greatest priests in movies are Henry Thomas in Ouija, Origin of Evil, because he's fucking amazing in that. And Anthony LaPaglia in this one. He's fucking awesome. He's in really it. Good I one. love that guy. And then I love a little girl in the wheelchair. She does fucking great. Like, she right. really acts fucking terrified in this movie, and it fucking shows. Like, there's some, there's a jump scare in this movie where uh, she, like, goes underneath the stairs, and it's just fucking there. And the way that's directed, fucking, I love it. It's great. It is very, very scary in a way that a lot of them are not. Um, my number one, and I think your number one as well, is the original Conjuring. Um, yes. They did never quite reach the heights again. It's an interest. It's actually, this is sort of a classic horror franchise thing. Yeah. And then a lot of them have the best movie is the first one. Um, there's like there's some you can think of, you know, Friday the 13th, first one is not the best. A lot of people, I guess I may be in the minority in thinking that Nightmare on Elm Street, the best one is not the first one. But like, obviously stuff like Halloween. Oh, no, a lot of people go either to the third one or New Nightmare as their favorite. And I can't argue with that because the third and New Nightmare are both fucking great additions. Like, I'd put that up there as some of the best for Nightmare. Yeah, and then the conjuring just works. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. Just, it's a great introduction to the Warrens. It's really when you get, I think, the best version of them because you really get to get the freshest version of them. You haven't seen them do stuff again before. I think the family in that one is really interesting. Yes, it's also one of the few movies where like the parents are both name actors, and you get a lot of you get a little bit more star power. That they've started to go on and have a little bit less star power and a little bit kind of just like, you know, random people doing stuff. They're basically making the ones as, hey, they're the star power now. Right. Let's just bring in random fucking people and hopefully they can keep up. Yeah, they, honestly, they should do more John Nobles, which is just like yes. really talented people who don't have necessarily a lot of name recognition or a lot of star power. But like character actors, I think it's probably something the universe could would really be well served by. Yeah, the Conjuring. Yeah, for, conjuring yeah. the two things. Marsha Gay Harden is fucking amazing as a mother. Like other than The Mist, my favorite, fucking favorite performance, and then um, uh, the clapping game. That's where the fucking terror comes in, how James Wan knows how to do terror. A clap scares the shit out of you. <laughs> There's a lot of, like, real jump moments in that film that are from stuff that you just do not expect Like to the happen. nurse that's going across the room, and he goes to follow her, and then fucking right behind him. That's some good shit. That's a good jump scare. It's some great jump scares. Um, thank you, Mike, for coming on, yeah. talking The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. I cool. hope... <laughs> I hope our audience enjoyed it. Um, if you have <laughs> thoughts on The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, or any of the movies in the universe that we talked about, uh, drop them down below in the comment section. We'd love to interact with you. Uh, go see the film. Watch us after the fact. See what you liked. Uh, see if you agreed, disagreed. Um, you know, it's always fun to enjoy new movies. Uh, 
I did not get to see this one in theaters, but I have been back to theaters recently, and that was a fun experience. Can see a quiet place too. Oh, I, I need to see that still. Rips on the big screen. That is a big screen movie right there. Um, but with that being said, thank you, Mike, for coming yeah. on. Thank you to your audience for watching. And uh, we will be back soon with more reviews and more regular episodes. Peace out.